getting ahead of this as always to remind you that cavalcade of tales contains adult language and adult themes listener discretion is advised peace is a lie there is only passion through passion i gain strength through strength i gain power through power i gain victory through victory my chains are broken the force shall free me Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cavalcade of Tales podcast. I am your host, Drew, the millennial with a history degree, and today we're going to be using that degree. So a little bit of background on how this episode came to be. Um, One of the things I wanted to do when I was conceptualizing this podcast is I had a lot of different things I had to study. Um, Originally, I was going to be a historian, but who had an anthropology minor is I care more about the changes of cultures over time. Um, Also, I had a running joke where it's like, oh, why are you doing anthropological training and historical training at the same time? Uh, It's so I can study people whenever the fuck I want. So on the big board of sticky notes where I have a bunch of podcast ideas, some of the big ones that were on there were like using techniques on fictional like scenarios and originally this episode was going to be an episode on religious schisms and i was going to very carefully and patiently uh try to do look at religious schisms in the real world versus this specific individual schism in pop culture um and then i started doing the research on this particular part of the schism in pop culture and then like two hours later and 13 pages of notes i'm just like i have a whole episode just on this and that's how this episode was born but part of the uh credit for this episode goes to a throwaway line in a video game that i love to pieces um some of you have already seen the title so you're probably wondering why i'm beating around the bush so this is about Star Wars. Um, my relationship with Star Wars is a weird one. My dad is super into it. He loves it to bits. It's good, you know. I'm happy for him. He rem- he went and saw the original trilogy. I want to say he went and saw Return to the Return of the Jedi in theaters. I don't quite remember. Um, I could give a fuck if we're being 100% honest, like, I like, the my relationship to Star Wars has been very passing, you know, the movies are fine, I have not seen anything, I have not seen any of the new movies, to be fair, like, I've just seen the course, that course six, and then my consumption of the Star Wars canon is usually through supplementary stuff such as video games. When I was very little, one of the first video games I ever beat was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And there's a throwaway line in the sequel, which I love to pieces, even though everybody likes to hate on Knights of the Old Republic 2 because it kept losing money and they didn't get to make a finished game and everybody knows it's not a finished game. And then it was also awkward because it was like the second part of a trilogy and, you know, the middle one is never the best one, but I love KOTOR 2. And there's a phrase that gets thrown around where about the conflict between the Jedi and the Sith where it is two si- 
uh, warring factions of a religion to the rest of the world. And that birthed this idea of doing religious schisms. So I went to my dad, Star Wars person. I'm like, look, I want to do this episode on religious schisms. I need some material on, like, star, like their religious practices. I know you. I saw you had a couple books on your shelf that were called The Jedi Code and The Sith Law. Can I borrow those? I started with The Sith Law because the Sith are cooler. And uh, next thing I knew, I did... I went full academic on it and I did I'm not kidding when I say I did you know 12 to 13 pages of like actual historic slash ethnographic notes on a fake religion and uh that the fruits of that labor will be for today we're gonna do an ethnography slash historiography slash academic report on the dark side of the force Before we get into the real meat and potatoes of this episode, I need to start off with some definition and some clarifications. So, the majority of this work I got from a book that was published in 2016 called The Book of the Sith. Between that, uh, half-remembered stories that are probably going to pop up, and the um, plot and vague remembrances of the plots of games is how I put together this research majority of it is the book of the sith which is a it was an artificially made compendium of multiple uh texts that were allegedly you know sith manuscripts um one of the things i have to address up front just so i have it out there and it's taken care of is yes i am aware that a lot of the material this covers is not necessarily part of the current Star Wars canon based off the way the Disney Corporation is running it. Uh, Some of this contains things that were made into what is called the Legends content, which is the extended universe that they didn't get, and they left it open to whether or not they're going to make it canon or not. Um, A lot of Star Wars people have a lot of opinions on this and um, I'm going to come out and say this This is going to sound a bit blunt because I have a headache right now but I don't give a shit and normally when I do these episodes I'm like feel free to come and like tell me if I said anything wrong I I did my I know this isn't all canon and I do not care and if you want to come tell me about Star Wars like Make it pithy, because I, if it's not, like, the game universes or, like, the Star Wars Clone Wars TV show, I could give a fuck. So, don't get in my mentions being, like, I can't believe he covered Legends content. Like, I don't care. (laughs) I really fucking don't. But I thought this was super interesting, and I loved the way this book was written. And, And I liked... And it was really good looking at it with the kind of like historiography and ethno ethnography lens. And this is my podcast, so I can do what I want. So the other thing I wanted to do is I'm going to throw around and I have been throwing around a bunch of terms and I feel like I need to do some definitions just to make certain things easier. So 
Ethnography is the scientific description of a customs of individual peoples and cultures often used in social or behavioral sciences such as anthropology. Um, so what that is, is an ethnography is essentially a means for an anthropologist to look at a society or a culture and scientifically look at aspects of that culture while removing their own cultural bias from the equation. Um, for example, on my shelf, I have a very fascinating book called Imagining Transgender, which is an ethnography looking at the transgender community in New York City in the turn of the century. I want to say it's centered in like 1998, 1999. It is a very dense and technically heavy book. I don't often recommend it to people to read because it do it is a cultural scientific work because it is the individual who wrote it is a homosexual who works with sex services. However, their big thing is like when you're doing ethnography, you try to take out or acknowledge as many of the biases that you have in your work. Doing like a personal example, I am a 27 year old liberal who when I do things I tend to highlight the acts of women or marginalized groups that is a bias and the fact that I am a white man means that I cannot write scientifically or I can't I have to look at things differently and understand that I will not understand certain things because I am a white dude from New England now this is different from historiography Historiography is the, uh, com the comparison and study of historical works and why they were created. So a big thing in historiography is the fact that it looks at the bias. So historiography will often, you'll take a historical work, um, looking at my bookcase right now, for example, I have... Um, Let's see, what's a good, oh, what's a, I'm looking at the wrong shelf. Where is a good history book I can use? Um, okay, here we go. The Once and Future Sex, uh, which is written by Dr. Eleanor Yanega. It's a, her newest book. I highly recommend it. Um, in that book, she writes about the sex and gender roles of women, uh, how they were in the, Middle e the uh, medieval period, and the implications and lessons that we should take from that moving forward in our current time period. In a historiography, if someone was doing a history of the middle or of medieval times, one of the things they would do is they would take Dr. L L Dr. Yanega's book and be like, okay, here is an account that talks about the uh, various roles of women. Uh, these were the points that Dr. Yanega was trying to make, and this and these are the primary sources or the works from the time period she used to support those facts. What and to support her argument because the big thing at the end of the day history is just a bunch of people arguing about what they think happened in the past and one of the things you have to remember is that every history is made for the re with a purpose involved there is no objective history so what this what it's very interesting uh doing this because i am blending the two a little bit where i am blending something that is a scientific look at a culture with a 
lens and a training where I can see why certain texts are written the way they are. So it's um, it'll be interesting, and I think it'll make more sense once I get into the actual meat of the episode. Um, another um thing I'm gonna word I'm gonna toss around a lot is dogma, and I'm not talking about the uh, hit film with a. Uh... Oh God, they played Jay and Silent Bob, but they have real names. It was a great movie. It was about a woman having to get two angels to a specific church so they can get smited. And it was played by Matt Damon and his buddy. It had Jay and Silent Bob in it. Selma Hayek was a demon stripper. It was a good movie. Uh, But dogma, the actual dogma I will be talking about, is the principle or set of of principles laid down by an authority as incontrolled incontrovertibly true i have a lot of rough sound without sentence so in essence it is a like set of laws so like for example the ten commandments are a christian dogma because they are an authoritative set of principles that are being considered incontrovertibly true um one word i've tossed around a lot already and people who are more familiar with the um colloquial use of this uh we'll know what i'm talking about and it is canon so canon is a collection or list of uh, sacred texts or books that are accepted as true and genuine so as i've said a couple times i've addressed the fact that some of the material i'll be covering today is not technically in what is considered the current star wars canon which has changed after disney bought the rights from LucasArts. when discussing canon um in terms of fictional properties the canon is the what is accepted true story and facts that were given by its creator which or the person who owns the property um this uh it's uh, there's a i could do a whole episode on the uh you know canon um and the ways that communities uh play with canon because it is so fascinating and because like there's a lot of fan fiction which is considered non-canonical you'll have things that happen to be like that was not that was a non-canonical thing um like for example in uh tv show steven universe Um, which was a very popular show done by Rebecca Sugar about a group of alien space rocks who were helping raising a half, um, a person who was half boy, half, you know, alien space rock. And a lot of people, when trying to suss out a lot of the major themes and overarching plot points, were like, are there any non-canonical episodes? Were like episodes that don't contribute to the main canon story of the event. And the only one is the uh, crossover with Uncle Grandpa. So that is canon. Um, rituals. Uh, just for a quick explanation. Rituals are the religious or solemn uh, ceremonies consisting of a series of actions performed according to a pre-described order. Um, that seems relatively straightforward, but I will be talking about uh, certain types of r- uh, rituals throughout this Um, and I figure just getting a bunch of definitions out at the beginning would be really helpful. The last one is one I've tried discussing before. I'm already giggling. Um, but I really want to drive home because I'm probably going to use it a few times in this episode. And 
I don't shy away from this topic in its other form, so I figure, you know, why shy away from it here? So we're going to talk about fetishes. Now, as people remember, I have talked about different types of fetishes before. Um, for example, in the beginning of the uh, Lady Monsters trilogy, the Sadie Hawkins Monster Mash, uh, so Sadie Hawkins Monster Mash pregame, we talked about teratophilia, which is the monster fucker fetish. However, it, I, when I'm speaking of fetishes in this episode, um, if I'm not talking about powerful women, I'm not talking about any of my own. This is a fetish is a inanimate object worshipped for its supposed magical powers or because of it's considered to be inhabited by a spirit. So an example of a fetish is um, I keep using Christian because I was going to originally part of this episode was going to be like i was going to look at like the sith versus the jedi and then i was going to look at like a bunch of the different religious schisms that happened in christianity because god those people can't fucking agree on anything and um so a christian fetish is like how most altar or at least catholic altars I, i'm not 100 percent on uh protestantism or episcopalian or whatever the one that the other one where they have to fuck through a sheet but that might be a different kind of fetish uh, rim shot um but in catholic altars in order for it to be a place where a priest can actually do work and perform the eucharist uh they have to have the bones of a saint which is a fetish because it is a ma- it is an object that is considered holy or you know magical in quotations because of its association with a religious figure so yeah this has been an extremely long opening to get to the meat and potatoes of this episode, but because this one's going to be a bit more academic in some ways, I wanted to just make sure I got all the terms that I might throw about without thinking uh, out of the way so that you can really enjoy this experience. Okay, so the first work we're going to work with in this uh, thing is a Sith Chronicle by a person named Sorzis Sin. Apologies in advance. One thing I know I'm probably going to mess up is a lot of the names because they are like fake alien names. Um, Also, real quick, uh, there will be a the year system. This could have been in definitions and I didn't put it there. The way that Star Wars does its years is BBY, which is before the Battle of Yavin, which is the events of, I believe, Star Wars Episode Four. So when there is something that is like this happened in X BBY, it's that many years before the events of the fourth Star Wars film. So the... A lot of the, like, bulk of some of the original processing of the Dark Side of the Force, as in the Sith Jedi, which I'm going to have to make, which I'm going to get into, um, we get from an account from Sorzis Sin, who was, quote, a grower of living weapons and biological plagues. Uh, uh... They start off their account talking about the beginning of the revolts and the fracturing of this great schism and the hundred year darkness. It was begun uh, 
by a revolt occurred when an outsider named Zendor caused several Jedi to question the light side of the Force, known as Ashla. Uh, after 20 millennia, people were actually starting to begin to question how the Jedi Council and the Jedi Order were working with the Force, and those who followed Zendor embraced the dark side of the Force, which was known as Bogon, and became uh, fighters known as the Legions of Leto. And this began the Hundred Year Darkness and the Great Schism. Um, one of the this led to a shit ton of fighting. One such thing was the Battle of Columnus in twenty four thousand five hundred BBY. It is said that Zendor and his legions died during the battle. However, um, the in the account, Sorzasin remarks that the tragedy was not the death of the legions but that the jedi council learned nothing from this uprising um this battle continued until uh 6909 bby where at the battle of corbos the remnants of the dark jedi were banished by the council one such of these individuals was sorzasvin another one is a character by the name of Ajunta Paul, who was a high general, who will be, come up in the account a little bit later. So, uh, Source of Sin also says that the Jedi Order were the aggressors in this combat because they were trying to prevent uses of the Force that they didn't approve of. Uh, to use a quote, The Jedi have shunned this power. They resisted every improvement. They caused the schism in their own ranks. Until we annihilate the old order, the pattern will continue repeating forever. In the passage, the uh, sin was uh, specifically talking to the like the awakening of the ability to use the force to manipulate living beings. Uh, Sorzis was an accomplished creator of beings known as leviathans, which were essentially big, mutated, jacked up, fucked up creatures to kill things. One of the key things to note, and I probably should put this early on, and like uh, in the first third of the episode is good enough. I am not condoning any of the behavior of the Sith. The one of the things that was going to be I was having a little bit of trouble with conceptualizing the original version of this episode is the fact that like in the terms of the Jedi Sith schism, like there's technically a bad guy, whereas in other religious systems it's really hard to problematize a group. Um. But, like, no, I don't condone murder and killing and conquest and warfare and imperialism. Um, however, I hate to break it to people, but the Sith are more interesting. So, after the uh, exile of the dark Sith users, they landed on the planet Corybon. Uh, Sin called this, quote, the world that screams the loudest for those who can hear the dark side's voice. And this is where Sith purebloods were made. So one thing to talk about is the, the use of the word Sith. As originally, the Sith were not dark Jedis. They were a actual race of peoples that lived on Korriban. And actually, they had like a six-planet trade route, but... It's mainly Korriban. 
I did not take as much notes about that because I was focusing more on the more religious aspects of this. Um, so this is a lot of in to put it in again terms of like Judeo Christians, um, they're finding their promised land where they're going to be able to work towards enlightenment, if you will. Um, it was on Korriban that the High General Ajutapal learned the Sith hierarchical structure and then proceeded to behead uh, King Hakagram Girush to become the Sith Lord and create it and put the Dark Jedi at the top of the Sith hierarchy. So after getting through the majority of how Sin and their her allies were able to subjugate the Sith people and start to work on Dark Side of the Force. They, uh, she does something that, as a historian, God, I fucking love. So, as a historian, one of the things that historians have to do is, like, each historian has, like, a thing they focus on. Um, for example, I, I, I like to joke that saying whenever a historian gets really into military history as a ma like a male historian, once they cross that threshold into military history, it's their historical middle age, and they're that's the, what they're going to do for the rest of their life until they die. And I constantly strive against it because I think per I personally think military history is so boring. I could I I don't care. That's why most of the book. Like, a lot of my historical books are like, The Sweetness of Venus, The Once and Future Sex, uh, you know, Sapphistry is a History of Same-Sex Love, friggin' The Odyssey, but that's for a different episode, uh, but shit like that, you know, 365 Bad Days, <laughs> Buzz, A Stimulating History of the Sex Toy, um, but one thing that all historians can get behind is source survival. It is so important. Even, I know oral traditions are great. But like, God, just put it down on something that can get digitized or something I can fucking put my hands on and read. Because, like, if you die with a story and nobody, and it doesn't get told, it's gone. And I'm not happy with the amount of joy I got while I was going, doing the podcast notes and being like, they fucking wrote down the traditions and shit. They, these are surviving sources of how an ancient culture practiced their religion. I'm wet. <laughs> so. One section I pulled a lot out of is the uh, rituals and incantations. They had a whole section on fetishes, but before I really got into how I was doing this, I didn't write down as much as I should have, but I definitely wrote a lot about the rituals and incantations. So, quoting from uh, Sith's text, uh, quote, It is not sufficient to study... Uh, is, sorry. It is not sufficient to simply use force powers as the Jedi teach. Ritual gives spellcasting added power. Memorize the incantations, speak them with conviction, and weave the invisible lines of power through gesture. So one of the big things about these dark side force powers and Sith spells are they are spoken in the Sith tongue and have to be said precisely and passionately. Otherwise, the spell can actually turn against you. Um, it is also said that the, uh, the potency of these spells can be enhanced through 
garment amulets or fetishes. One fetish that I did write down is something called the Wraps of the Frost, which are robes inked with hexes that gain energy from mummified Sith as they lay in their tombs for the first century. So an example I took from this is Duomatsugisa, which is summoning demons. By channeling air and the energy, you can manifest a being of the dark side known as a dream beast. These uh, creatures uh, have no uh, true form. Uh, What they are supposed to do is you find your victim. And then you use this spell and it summons a windborne miasma that turns into their greatest fear. And while they're cowering, it vaporizes them from within after entering through their body, through their nose or mouth. Now, this is going to be rough, but I wrote down the incantation in Sith, and I'm going to try to read it. So, Wonyoks Haksuska Konoshutu Tsukaya Onsowontu Wayonaks Kitsuka Aushuntu Minsuka Hayusakasontu there are no I don't see any swarming demons or mist to kill me other than the humidity and I just realized that I did that stupid fucking thing that teenagers do in horror movies where they're like oh I found this big scary book with an incantation in it let me read it out loud in Latin because nothing can go wrong Oh, I am going through it today. I'm sorry, guys. So the next um, segment after the incantations is something known as the Sith Code. Which is a translation and adaption of what the Jedi Code is that is being used by the Jedi Order. But while working on talking about a lot of the preconceived... Um, like fallacies that is believed to be a part of it Um, the cold open was the actual sith code Uh, peace is a lie there is only passion through passion i gain strength through strength i gain power through power i gain victory through victory my chains are broken the force shall free me um Anybody who's playing the original Knights of the Old Republic will remember that specifically because when you go to Korriban and you infiltrate the Sith Academy, uh, you have to, uh, there's a test where you get tested on the Sith Code. There's also, uh, Sin touches upon the concept that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads, but hatred leads to power, and power leads to victory. So there was a bit more about um, in the text where Sin talks about the you know different types of beasts, but I will be going to. But at this point, I'm going to start moving on to the next text in the work. Hey y'all, welcome to the mid roll. Uh, before we keep going with the episode, as always, I would like to remind you that if you'd like to support this podcast fiduciarily, you can do so on Patreon.com/slash Cavalcade of Tales. I'm going to be adjusting the tiers slightly. Um, you can expect a major overhaul uh, probably within the next week or so. Um, at the $5 tier, what will be happening is starting in uh, August, 
I will be monetizing the podcast through the podcast player, so there will be ads playing during the episodes. So if you would like to get free early access to or ad-free early access to episodes, you can do so at the $5 tier on Patreon. Doing so will also get you into the uh, Discord, where we can talk all things about the episodes or just whatever the hell you want, really. like It's more about just fostering and making a community. Uh, especially about a community that loves to just we could tell each other stories and it'll be fun and then joining the discord and the patreon will also get you into the we don't talk about book club book club a monthly read of various texts and fun things uh as a general reminder the book for july has been the five the untold stories of the woman killed by jack the ripper by hallie rubenhold um great book uh Hallie Rubenhold is a very eloquent woman uh, for people who don't have the book but want to learn more about it she also actually did a podcast called Bad Women uh, she did the first season is solely about the Jack the Ripper cases and it's sort of it's a fun like companion to the book but if you just read the book or if you just read listen to the podcast and don't read the book you can still get a good chunk of the story and I believe she did another series about the Blackout Ripper, the person who was killing people in the during the Blitzkriegs uh, on uh, London during the Second World War. And yeah, uh, please support the podcast at patreon.com slash tales. And uh, again, as a general heads up, starting in August, we will be running uh, ads. And yeah. All right, thank you all for this temporary shill of product. So our next text that we're working with is The Rule of Two. Uh, the Rule of Two was written by a Darth Bane in 188 BBY. So this is a... One way to look at this is it could be something similar to like a... Like not like a night the theses of uh, Martin Luther. It's not like I, I, the reason that sentence took a second is because I'm like I know he did over ninety, but I can't remember. I want to say it's the ninety five theses, but I'm a bad historian right this second. Um, so it's not like that because he's not trying. He's he's working on radical changes, but it's a little different. So. One of the big things that Bain starts out with is a concept called the force is not fire, it is venom. Quote, the force is not fire. It cannot be passed from one user's lit torch to another's and another's until an entire hemisphere is illuminated with a blaze of a million lights. Um, Bain is writing this shortly after the defeat of a large amount of Sith at a battle of Rusan. So at the point, there was uh, a Sith Lord named Kane, uh, K-A-A-N, and who had a Brotherhood of Darkness, which was a large group of Sith Lords. However, you could not have a power base where there is, through power I gain victory, and through victory my chains are broken, the Force shall free me if you have like 20 people all vying for power and victory so there was a lot of infighting um so there were the rusan conflict was uh, 
seven battles from uh, 1002 to 1000 BBY. And the seventh and final skirmish, uh, Bane decided to uh, talk about using a uh, like dark side thought bomb, which eliminates J Jedi, but it worked too well. And because of how diluted and how many quote unquote Sith Lords there were, it also took out a good chunk of the Sith and the Brotherhood of Darkness. Where it was that Bane and his Padawan were the only ones to survive. Quote, No, the force is a venom. If poured into many cups, it loses its potency until it becomes so diluted it is merely an irritant. Yet pour those cups into a single vessel and you will have the power to stop a crate dragon's heart. So the core philosophy of Bane's argument and text and his, you know, philosophy, religious philosophy is essentially a theology, is that there should be two Sith Lords, a master and apprentice. There is a master who holds all the dark side power and an apprentice who fights tooth and nail to try to gain any little bits of power they can and knowledge. Once the time has come, the apprentice will ta kill their master and become the new lord while taking on a new apprentice. There is a great quote. I'm 90% sure I wrote it down. Yes. Know this. Your apprentice will kill you. If this fact frightens you, then the Sith Order has already suffered a fatal infection. And it's... So there is a lot... This whole system involves the gaining of power by constantly betraying someone stronger and more powerful than you. Um, one of the things that uh, Bane brought back when working on this rule of two between him and his own Padawan is the use of the moniker Darth. Now, this is another little like thing that I chuckled and loved as a historian because he Bane talks about the where the word Darth came from. So we're going to have some etymology. Etymology. So Darth is widely received to be a Rakadin word. Um, the TLDR, or the Rakadin, uh, the only reason I know this is because of the Rakadin are an ancient super race that used the force to uh, for interplanetary conquest um, they are the ones behind making the super weapon um, and the ability, like the something called the Starforge to make ships really quickly uh, using both uh, highly advanced mechanics and the force, which is the objective of the main character in Knights of the Old Republic 1 to go find and either destroy or subjugate, depending on which path you choose. It's what Revan is after. So the Rakadin words that Darth come from, it's either Dartha, meaning emperor, or it's Dartha, meaning triumph over death. This is an important thing that comes up a lot in Darth Bane, um, where there's this kind of like, you shouldn't, the only way you're not going to get killed by your Padawan is if you have so much dark power that you become immortal. 
but you shouldn't seek out immortality because you should be seeking out to continue the Sith Order. One of the very interesting things is that Bane does is he says that the title of Darth, it doesn't matter what the word used to mean, it's carrying the legacy of the powerful Sith Lords that came before you. So he listed a few and then I added a couple of my favorites. So he's, for example, uh, Darth Revan and Darth Malak, who used the Rakadin technology to create a new Sith Empire that rivaled even the Old Republic. Darth Malagus, who was so powerful and big bad, who sacked the, uh, in the Republican planet of Coruscant and was able to destroy the Jedi Temple. Darth Ruin, who left the Jedi Order to pursue his monomaniacal philosophy of self-interest and then made a thousand-year war between the Jedi and Sith that was ended during the Rusinian conflict. And then these are a couple of my favorites. There's also Darth Treya, who went on a pilgrimage to destroy the Force itself using a Jedi exile to make a wound in the Force so loud it would deafen all Force sensitives. Or Darth Nihilus, a living wound in the Force who consumed worlds and worked with the Darth Scion to uh, eliminate the Jedi Order and consume the entire galaxy's Force energy. Um, Keen uh, listeners will realize those last two are the two are references to Knights of the Old Republic too because I couldn't let it go because Darth Treya kicks ass. I'm sorry, fucking, she's cool as hell and I refuse to let it go. Nice old public two is good. Uh, I'm bouncing around a little bit. Sorry. All right. So next is continuing the lineage. So one of the things that uh, is then talked about is you have to pick an apprentice, and it is suggested that you uh, find a young force sensitive who quote hasn't been corrupted by the Jedi Order. Um. One idea of figuring out how to pick a good apprentice is to cause infighting within a group. So you got a bunch of them, throw them in a pit, be like, one of you said something bad about the other, and then just watch them fight to the death and then take the strongest. There is a lot of combat discussion in Bane's teachings. Um... So one of the interesting things looking at this as, you know, in a sort of ethnographical way is that combat can be used as a form of ritual. It's not the first time it's even been done in the Star Wars context based off my limited understanding. Um, there's a group of people known as the Achani or Ikani, which are a race of warrior people who believe that the only true way to figure out uh, the root of a person is to uh, fight them in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So ritualized combat is also something that happens in the real world. That's why Shaolin monks are trained in certain martial arts. And uh, there's also the meditative martial art of Tai Chi. Um, so, but in this context, the uh, using combat as a form of ritual, which is uh, exemplifying, exemplifying dark side teachings and expressing them through physical or force combat. Uh, using a quote, there are three schools or focuses of force combat that channel the dark side, offense, body, and mind. Study all three, learn which to apply during the fury of the fight, and then you pass on what you have learned to your apprentice. Um, so 
going through this offensive skills are includes things like the force choke famously shown by uh, many different sith um in the book it talks about various ways to uh, extrapolate on that skill whether it be to just crush someone's windpipe crush their armor or if you get powerful enough uh, crush uh, vehicles and tanks body skills include force lightning so the way this has worked is it's manipulating your body to do extraordinary things through the power of the force like being able to generate lightning from your fingertips famously done by uh, the emperor in the sixth film the final uh, the mind skills are pretty obvious and the one i picked was something called memory walk which is a technique used during interrogations to invade the memories of a person and then you can potentially use uh, those memories against them. And uh, that's where... There was a couple things about like lightsaber forms as well, and but that's where the rule of two text ends. So the, th- the third and final text that I'll be touching on today, because I love doing things in threes, um, is a more shamanistic look at this um using the christianity example because it's an easy parallel that a lot of people will understand if the first text was sort of just like your old testament and the rule of two is sort of your new testament the night sisters is a shamanistic use of the force that weaves in so I would kin it something similar to like Haitian voodoo, where it is the blending of Christian traditions with uh, East African shamanistic traditions. It is not a one-to-one parallel, and in no way am I saying that voodoo is evil. Um, however, it is a the best way I can describe sort of the relationship between these techniques. So... The Night Sisters of Dathomir. Uh, it's also a whole women cult, so uh, it's good in my book. Um, so it is considered a cult of the dark side by the Jedi, but it is and a source of dark uh, knowledge for the Sith. Um, so the text in question is a shamanistic group of scriptures written by a mother Talzin. Uh, very early on she talks about the uh, she addresses the issue of like the difference between like Jedi and the Sith quote there is no need to separate what they call the living force from the unifying force both are manifestation of the twin deities and both are vibrantly overwhelmingly alive is it evil to kill would those who answer yes be satisfied if predators starve so that grazers could strip the land unopposed amid famine Uh, my sisters do not concern yourselves with the dark side or light side that is the language of outsiders so rather than uh, sort of having this like dichotomy between light and dark the uh, night sisters worship twin deities which are the winged goddess and the fanged god so the first one is the winged goddess um uh okay so this is a quote uh, to quote uh, the description from Mother Talzin, in the spirit realm, the winged goddess appears as a blinding white griffin. It is she who governs fertility and growth, and she who acts as a mediator to reconcile wounded parties. She knows everything that has occurred and everything that is yet to come. 
Channeling the Wing Goddess allows one to access uh, major amounts of the spiritual acre that is found in between the planes. So in the Night Sisters tradition, the concept of what is something is known as the Force is known as the spiritual realm, which runs sort of as a parallel between their world and our world in the Force. And that magical ichor appears as green smoke that can be manipulated by skilled shamans. And in the book, she talks about various different ways that a skilled shaman who is using the power of the uh, winged goddess can do certain things. For example, the spiritual acre can be made into a reflective disc, which can either divine the future or scry the uh, locations of people or objects. In spellcasting rituals, a spirit acre can heal the sick, mesmerize and control the weak-minded, or in extreme situations, summon winded, undead spirits to fight against your foes. Uh, anybody who has played uh, Jedi Fallen Order will remember that the Night Sister Marin uses this ability to resurrect some of the pods of the, the fallen warriors of Dathomir to fight for fight against you. Um, yeah, Jedi Survivor. Yeah, I do. That's the other thing. Like, I played a lot of that. I'm playing. Once I finish Final Fantasy 16, I'm actually going back in to Jedi Fallen Order so I can go get. Jedi Survivor. Uh, but anywho, the other Night Sisters deity is known as the Fanged God. Quote, the Fanged God appears as a night black gargoyle in the spirit realm. He governs virility and the hunt. Blah, 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 blah. As Night Sisters, you draw from both pools and thus keep the universal energies in balance. So one of the interesting things is that like the roles of these gods aren't really similar the fang god is more of a omnipresent force because it is the fang god who keeps the spirit world separate from the, their world uh quote every time you fight or feast or bleed you are ch communing with the fang god so when you channel the griff the fang the winged goddess you can do you can control eker but channeling the Fang God allows Night Sisters to commune with things that are known as Ur Spirits. Uh, Ur Spirits are sort of the spiritual manifestation of creatures, and by learning their language, they can subjugate the living being. So, to tie this to one of the previous traditions uh, we spoke about, in the Rule of Two, Bane talks about a mind skill where you can subjugate the mind of lesser beings. This is something similar. Um, on Dathomir, the practice is, is that uh, Night Sisters who are channeling the Fang God are able to learn the Earth speak and be able to ride rancors around the uh, planet. Um, those who are uh, master the skill are known as Beast Wardens. Uh, however, channeling the Fang God is uh, very powerful, so it bursts minor blood vessels in the face, leaving bruising around the eyes and on the cheeks. Um, in the text, Mother tells in, because she is a uh, very authoritarian force, she talks about how these markings should not be shamed, they should be a badge of honor. Um, now we're going to talk about fetishes. So, with 
these uh, fetishes, they are to- known as totems, and they are made to channel the abilities of the twin gods. Uh, I wrote down a few examples. So there is the talisman of age, which taps into the animalistic nature of humans and regains some of the vigor of youth. Then there are various elemental totems that can be used to channel, allow the wielder to channel night, sunlight, smoke, ice, flay, clay, and wood rot. However, the elemental spirits that work within these fetishes are primal and they are not easy to subjugate and can turn against the user. Um, one of the things that Mother Talzin goes against discusses near the end of her text is the other groups that use the force similar to them in order to discredit them so this is where we have to look a little bit into the reason these texts were made and some of the things that you know they're going to do for example the first text with sin it sin is a recent exile of the jedi order that is why she is very important to looking at the ways that this tradition is new and different to codify and get ready for this to spread and thus and also to write about the slights against her as someone who tamed beasts as part of the set excuse me sorry if that made you yawn um I got notified by a listener that uh, when I yawned in the last episode, it made her yawn too. So um, my bad. Sorry, I'm very sleepy. Um, In the Rule of Two, uh, Bane is setting out to make an instructional text because the core of his philosophy is that one master should have all the knowledge and then pass it on to another individual who will eventually kill them. So it would be hypocritical if he was unable to gather a bunch of knowledge about a philosophy where you gather a bunch of knowledge. The Night Sister Handbook by Mother Telzin um, is a lot of propaganda about why Night Sisters are so powerful and perfect. And then she goes out of her way to do a section at the end where she talks about various other traditions that use the dark side of the Force in semi-similar ways. And to talk about how they're shit. Um, and what they're doing on her planet of Dathomir. So the first is a Prophets of the Dark Side group, which is a broken-off sect of Sith Jedi led by Dark Millennial, and they use the Dark Side to focus on to Devonition and use their skills to sell to the highest bidder. One of the things that Mother Talzin uh, especially hates is the concept of like mercenary work for your abilities like don't sell your skills um there i skipped another one of the other groups because she essentially said there's they are like they're rumored to be able to do really cool things but you we can neither confirm nor deny uh but one interesting thing is that uh there is one group that she does not talk super negatively about known as the sorcerers of rand and in a way, she kind of deems them worthy because they are uh, a group that she says, quote, they are not believed to operate outside the Nihil retreat, but make an effort to learn more of their ways if you can. Um, this group is a group that claims kinship with the dark side of the force, which they see as an embodiment of decay and death. 
Um, speaking of some of the things that she may or may not know about this group, quote, a true sorcerer is said to be able to use a psychic blast to eradicate an object or even a living being, end quote. And then she ends the thing saying how the Night Sisters are better than the Jedi because they didn't, uh, are better than Sith because they aren't getting paid to fight a war, and they're better than the Jedi because they didn't get goaded into fighting a war. And that is the historic historiography and ethnography and just general f- information, informational deep dive into the dark side of the Force. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed this sort of academic looking into the dark side of the Force and various Sith traditions. Um, a little bit different than our normal episodes, but... Um, I just sort of went down a rabbit hole and I thought it'd be fun to kind of bring it up to you guys. Um, I'm torn between a couple ideas for next week, so there'll be no preview on what next week will be, but I am going to start working on making sure that these episodes are up early. I'm going to try to get into the practice of recording these earlier instead of being like, okay, the episode goes up at midnight on Tuesday. I'm going to finish this one uh, looking at 11 o'clock tonight on Monday. Uh, But uh, yeah, If you like this episode, uh, feel free to let me know. Uh, Please rate the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Um, uh, I will figure out a way to look at them. I haven't quite yet, but I am working on it. Um, You can support the podcast fiduciarily, as always, at patreon.com slash complicatedtales. Um, If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can always do so at uh, Instagram or TikTok, at white trash historian um i hope you enjoyed the episode uh, stay safe stay cool um i was actually going to record this yesterday but i kept getting heat rashes because summer is out to fucking kill me and uh yeah i hope you all have a great week i'll talk to you again next tuesday um i have to be real careful how i say that because i don't want to accidentally call y'all cunts all right have a good week bye